Welcome to the Upper Room Sermon of the Week. For more information, go to urfellowship.com. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. My name is Chris. For those of you who are new, I guess it's Chris for everybody, but um, it's good to see you. The elders are back in town. Uh, We had a good elders retreat last week. Sounded like you had fun here. A lot of shenanigans. I heard there was an embarrassing video possibly played of the elders dancing during the sermon last week. Yeah. I've looked into it. I asked around. I think I found all the people who were a part of that. And I want to let you know, Josh, Adam, Michael, who was just running the projection, all of them will be dealt with harshly. (laughs) I'm joking. I love it. It sounded like an awesome week last week, and I just appreciate that, you know, man, we can go away, and like, you know, most of the elders can go away, and it's still in good hands here. And that's that's a good feeling. That's an awesome testimony of the way that God has blessed this place with just a ton ton of gifted, awesome people. Amen. So actually, that's a pretty good segue into what we're going to talk about today. Uh, what I want to talk about today is uh, your identity as, as ministers in the body of Christ. Okay, So if you have your Bibles, you can go to Ephesians 4.11. We're going to start there. Got this new microphone. It's throwing me off a little bit. We're just going to work our way through this. Um, and this scripture starts with a list of the five... Uh, offices or roles of leaders that we find in the church, uh, or what some call the five-fold ministry, okay? So Ephesians 4.11, you there? Okay, and he gave the apostles, so Ephesians 4.11, and he gave the apostles. Now, just start, we'll just go through. So the apostles are those who lead whole areas of the church. So, so when Paul writes to the church of Corinth, which was a city, all the churches in Corinth looked to Paul the apostle for guidance and leadership. So, so God gave some to be apostles, gave some to be prophets. So, so some people would argue that this is the gift of teaching. All right, This is not the gift of teaching because teaching is going to be listed here in a minute. This is a gift of prophecy, words of encouragement, words of knowledge for the church. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. Now here's an interesting tidbit about the gift of evangelism. Some people are given the gift of evangelism, but all are required to do the work of the evangelist. So this is where one of the, this one's probably a little bit different than the rest of the gifts. All of us are to share our faith with other people, to talk about Christ with other people, but some have what's called the gift of evangelism. So people just get saved around these people more than they will around those without the gift. So like, for example... On a mission trip, I was on in Chicago when I was in high school. We did some kind of street evangelism with a guy named Jose. And things would just happen when he was around. So like for lunch once, we went to Subway, and he ordered a six-inch tuna sub. And he just started talking to the girl behind the counter, and he was like, do you think this sandwich can feed 5,000 people? And she's like, no, sir, we have big sandwiches that feed like 20 people, but... You and you like 300 of them. That's, you know. And he's like, no, no, no. This six-inch sandwich. Do you think this sandwich can feed 5,000 people? No, sir. Then you don't know Jesus, he said to her. And I'm like, seriously? This is how we're going to do this. (laughs) But here's what happens. She rings us up. The rest of us sit down to eat. 
They're, he's up there sharing the gospel. They go over to a chair, and I'm watching them pray, and I'm like, are you serious? That's how this is going down. Can this tuna fish sandwich feed 5,000 people? That's how you're going to do that. And a little girl accepts Christ there in Subway. Now, if I pull that, if I'm like, do you think the sandwich can feed 5,000 people? She'd be like, sir, I will call the police on you. <laughs> I, you will go to jail tonight. I am not in the mood, right? Some people, when they share their faith, things happen quicker and with a lot more power than when others do it. And I have a feeling a lot of people don't really know they even have the gift of evangelism because maybe they haven't even tested it out. But, but we've all been called. This is why Paul tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. It's an interesting phrasing, right? He doesn't say you are an evangelist. He says you do the work of one. It's almost like he's distinguishing. Yeah, you don't have the gift, but that doesn't matter. All right, so he gave, some, uh, gave his apostles, prophets, he gave evangelists, and he gave pastors, or the shepherds, they protect the body, and he gave teachers. Now look at what he gave them for. Look at verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So, so who are the saints? You who are believers, right, you. So if the church is functioning as she should, the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers would prepare God's people and that includes you, for the work of ministry. So if I'm reading scripture right, then that would mean that if you are a believer and you're a follower of Christ, then you should see yourself as called to ministry. So, so you are a minister. Like when people come and tell me they feel called to the ministry, I always giggle a little bit. Because yeah, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, too late, right? You are definitely called to ministry. Now, some of you might hear that and say, but hang on, I don't know much scripture, or I don't, I don't feel like I'm good enough, or you know, I don't know, I get nervous praying with people, I'm not sure I could really even make a difference. You know, Let me just say this, let me talk to those of you who are, those of you who are confident and talented first, okay? I want to talk to you directly, to those of you who graduated at the top of your class, uh, you were voted most likely to succeed. I want, I want to say to you, I've got great news for you, and that is God can still use you. <laughs> he can. It's just that he specializes in using ordinary people. Like, here's an example. One time, Peter and John were preaching, and they got arrested. And the religious folks got together, and they were, they were kind of trying to figure out, how could God do so much through these average people? And here's the way it unfolds in Scripture. Acts 4.13. It says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So these ordinary, everyday, average guys were doing something that was supernatural. Now here's, here's the beauty of it and what I want you to see. The word in the Greek that's translated as the word ordinary, it should be something else. Bible translators are very polite. Okay? The word in the Greek is the word idiotes. So just from hearing the word idiotes, what do you think might be a better translation than ordinary? <laughs> idiots. Yeah, it very literally means idiots. Now, that's what this word should say. They were astonished that these uneducated idiots were doing what they were doing. Everyday, average, ordinary idiots. And maybe you feel like, yeah, well, yeah, that describes me pretty well. If that's you, you need to know that isn't your identity in the kingdom of God. All right? There's a lot of ideas about what it means to be a Christian. It can be very confusing as to what kind of this thing actually means. I don't want you to be confused here. Being a Christian, becoming a Christian means that you become new. 
Okay? You have a completely new identity. You have the life of God in you. You're alive. You have the life of the Trinity in you, the Spirit of God. That's what being a Christian is. There's this great power that has come into your life, and you're, you're awake. You're seated in heavenly places. You're raised up. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. That's your identity. That's huge. And who you are always informs what you do. Always. And this has been the message that we, we just keep hearing here at the, at the, we heard it this morning from Rich. I don't know if you've noticed, but this is the same message that keeps appearing in prophetic words this year. Rich, who's, who's one of those who are prophets in the church, had a word uh, from the Lord for us a couple weeks ago. And the word, I'm just going to quote some of it. He said, now is the time for turning it up. Today is the day of amplification. Today is the day of magnification. Today is the day of acceleration. Turn it on, turn it up, and let it rip. Today is the day. This is the hour, no holding back, no hesitation, no intimidation. This is the hour to act. Listen to this. To be all that you have called, you've been called to be, to base your actions on your identity. Let who you are in Christ determine all you do, every decision, every action. There's so much more to see, so much more to say, so much more to share. Come on in. Come on with me and see, hear, touch, experience life in my kingdom. For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it's living by God's power. Beth Sheldon at the beginning of the year had a prophetic vision. And maybe some of you have heard her talk about this vision. Um, and this is just kind of a paraphrase. If you want to hear the whole thing, talk to Beth about it. But she saw herself come across this terrible car accident. And there was this police tape all around with these people just behind it, keeping them out. And she looked and she saw Jesus on the scene of this accident, just right in the midst of it, this terrible accident, beckoning those on the outside of the police tape to come and help. And they were like, I can't. I'm not supposed to come in there. I don't have the authority. I don't have a badge. There's this police tape. And she heard Jesus say, I didn't put that police tape there. And she saw the church breaking through that police tape to get into the mess so that we can help and serve and minister. Jesus is telling us, you have all the authority in heaven and earth. You have a badge. You're a minister. These barriers that we put up in our mind, fear, shame, no confidence, do not exist in the kingdom of God. You are an authorized minister of the wisdom and power of Jesus Christ. That's your identity if you're a believer. You got the spirit of God living inside of you, preparing you to make a difference in the world. And if you need me reminded once in a while, write this down. Write this down. God doesn't call the prepared, but he prepares the called. You are called by God to minister up to others, and he will prepare you, usually on the journey. You are an ambassador for Christ. Like our vision at this church is not a group of people basking in the gifts of the leaders, right? But a group of people empowered to be leaders and ministers themselves. Like when someone comes to me and says, I think we need a ministry doing this, I'm always like, we sure do. There's always this awkward moment as they wait for me to tell them kind of what to do. And then I say, well, since God gave you the desire, you should look to him to give you the plan for what to do. 
If you see something wrong in the church, try to fix it. If you see a ministry that we're not doing, try and get it started. People come to me and say, you know, it doesn't happen nearly as much as it used to, but pastor, I think that this and this needs changed in your church. They tell me these things need to be changed in my church. As if I think the church is perfect, or that, if it's, that it's just mine, and I just didn't know about these areas, and now that I do, I can just kind of wave my magic wand and just fix it all. I promise you, whatever you're concerned about, I'm probably concerned about too, right? Whatever your list is, I have a longer one. Some of you are probably on my list. <laughs> if you see a need, that might be because God is raising you up to meet the need, right? We have very little programs here. There are a few things that we do as a church, and they are, mo- in most part, all related to equipping. Like, I don't know if you've ever eaten at the Golden Corral. I don't know if, I hope, if you love the Golden Corral, just cover your ears right now, because I'm going to do some damage. Um, I've been there once. That was, that was enough. I think their motto should be, you know, there's something for everyone, but none of it's very good. They should just put that right there on the sign. They have Asian food, right? No restaurant should serve Asian food that has corral in the name. (laughs) This is how a lot of churches do things, where there's a program for everyone, something for everyone. And that is fine. That works for some churches. But at this point in our church, we want to do the few things we do well. So we want to be more like a great steakhouse. We do steak. That's all. Don't order pasta. We don't make pasta. We want to do the few things we do well. And those things, for the most part, are going to focus on equipping the saints for the work of ministry. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> Christian discipleship is teaching people to be filled with the Spirit of God so they, will, they can be used in the mission of God. A lot of people often think discipleship is a, it's a sanitation process. So you take dirty people from the world, you just dip them in the Holy Ghost Clorox, set them in a sterile environment, no R movies, no beer, no tobacco, no dancing, and define holiness by what you avoid. It's not discipleship. That is disinfecting Christians rather than discipling them. And that thought process can actually be very detrimental to our call to reach the world. Christian discipleship is teaching people to be like Jesus. Being like Jesus means being involved in people's lives and bringing heaven's healing. You know, if you think about how Jesus changed the world, it is crazy by earth's standards. He's going, I'm going to find 12 people, train them for a couple years, then I'm going to die. Go to heaven, and I'm going to trust these 12 people to carry my message around the world. And who, and who did he choose for his inner circle? The best writers, the brightest, the most talented, No, actually, he chose, by the world standards, idiots. He chose uneducated fishermen. He chose tax collectors that were despised. He chose some guys that were known for having a temper. He hung out with prostitutes. He hung out with drunks. hung out with people who had questionable behavior. Who did he not call into his inner circle? He didn't call a single person from the religious establishment. Not a scribe, not a Pharisee, not a Sadducee, not a Levite. He called ordinary people who were just big enough idiots to believe that the power they carried could change the world. 
You see, today's system, is, it's messed up. It really is. Think about just the, the church world today, and, and I want you to just think about how crazy this is. You, you go and look in any Christian magazine for, for ministers, and you look in the back, and there's these little advertisements. And you can look uh, for want ads for senior pastors. All right, these are, these are real. Our church is looking for a senior pastor, blah, blah, blah. And then they list the qualifications. And here's what you're going to see almost every single time. They're going to ask if, for a senior pastor that's been in ministry for at least 10 years, is married, has a seminary degree. Been in ministry 10 years, married, have a seminary degree. Do you know where I'm going here? What that says is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, could not be a pastor in most of the churches in our country. Jesus, the Son of God, is not qualified by man's standards. Most churches are run like a business. This thing was never supposed to be a business. It was never even supposed to be a religion. It was always supposed to be a revolution. Man is looking for people that fit into the world's system. God is looking for people who know who Jesus is, who know who they are, who believe in him, and are willing to follow him no matter what the personal cost. I'll tell you right now, God is going to do something special through those of us who say, we don't just go to church, we are his church. We believe in Jesus, doesn't matter what it costs us. It's not about our lives, it's about your name and your glory and your kingdom. So I'm crossing the police tape. As we close, we're going to take communion. So if those who are going to hand out the elements would begin just doing that. We're going to enjoy the Lord together. And the Bible says, on the night Jesus was arrested, he took the bread and he broke it I mean, that was, just, that was just a symbolic act of what was going to happen at the crucifixion. He said, this is my body broken for you. For you. Don't get ambiguous. You is all Christians. No, you is you. Broken for you. My body broken for you. You in this room today. Me in this room today. His body broken for me. Do this in remembrance of me. Get together and you remember this. You're going, to need, you're going to need to remember this. My body broken for sin. It says, then after dinner, he took the cup. The cup is what he called the blood of the new covenant. So, so Christ has died once and for all for those who are perishing. Which means these little cups here. They're a celebration of the fact that God sees us as spotless, blameless in his sight, beloved sons or daughters. That God has given us a new identity that we who are believers are new people. The old has passed away, and the new has come. In Galatians 2.20, which is one of my favorites, in fact, on difficult weeks, I like to read Galatians 2.20 and just put my own name in it. Here's what it says. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by the faith, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what? Would the ministry team come forward to now? I wasn't planning on doing this, but I feel like maybe 
Something's going on with some people here. Um, if there's, there's anyone who would like to be made new today, would like that new identity that comes with becoming a Christian, would, would, would like to make Jesus Lord of your life, we're going to take communion in just a moment, and then I'm going to pray. And when, and when I say amen, there's going, to be, there's going to be some men and women in here. And, and if that's you, you want to be made new today. I just want, I want to plead with you to come. Just come. Just get out of your seats the second I say amen and come and grab a hand of these men and women and just say, I want, I want the forgiveness that comes in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. I want it. I want the new life. I want that forgiveness. I want to be forgiven of my sinfulness. Tired of the weight of it. Just come and say that. Let us pray with you. Let us walk with you. Let us see what God's up to in your life. Don't waste another day, right? Come while it's today. Let's trust in Christ and be forgiven of our sins. So when you're ready, feel free to partake in communion. And then I'm going to pray, and if that's you who would like that new life today, then you come, okay? Father, thank you that you offer us new life, not a self-help program, but a completely new identity. And that we can know who we are, your, your son or daughter, your workmanship, We thank you that we have been reconciled to you so now we can be agents of reconciliation in the world. Ambassadors for the wisdom of God on the earth. Your hands and feet in the world. Lord, thank you for the forgiveness of my own sins, for how you pulled me out of the muck. Father, I pray for these men and women as they they wrestle with you, as they wrestle with the Holy Spirit. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would break through, that you would put courage in our hearts today. I pray that some might leave today as new creations, all of their iniquities, all of their transgressions, past, present, and future, being fully and freely and forever forgiven. Help us, Lord. It's for your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen.